Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. So if you have a Bible, open up with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we are, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. We are going verse by verse through the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians in a series entitled uh, Thrive. I don't know about you, but I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm going to let you know this morning that God not only wants you to survive your trials, but he actually wants you to thrive through them. He wants you to grow through them. He, doesn't, he, he wants to do an amazing work in your life through difficult times. That's what James was saying, right? In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness have, it, steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know how you pray that? Hey, Lord, make me more like Jesus. Do you know what you're praying for, right? I mean, don't be surprised when the Lord puts you in a little fire because he wants to refine you. He wants to grow you up. So don't pout. Thrive, grow, flourish. Let the Lord do amazing things through you in, the, in this moment. Like, like get this mentality in your mind that when you step into a trial, you go, oh, Lord. Lord, you have yourself in a pickle. Let's see what you do in this one. You know, like that kind of mentality. Lord, you've got to do something here because it's your life, isn't it? I was crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so my life is his. So uh, the Lord wants us to thrive. This church in Thessalonica was thriving. If you missed the sermon last week, go back and listen to it. Uh, you can check it out on our uh, YouTube or um, Facebook keeps blocking us. Thank you, Facebook. But um, it keeps blocking our live feed and also our videos. So we're trying to work through that. But um, also, you can go to our YouTube channel. You can go to our SoundCloud and uh, go through our website, and you can see our SoundCloud feed there, and you can listen to the audio. But uh, you can... Pick it up from last week because it gives you a lot of introduction to this church. But this church was facing much persecution, uh, not only religiously, but also governmentally. They had uh, these various different Judaizers that were coming in, speaking against Paul, against Silas, against Timothy, saying that, you know, they were there for their own reasons and, you know, trying to build their own selves up and gain, gain monetary gain from these people and all this kind of stuff. And so... Paul is writing to this church, and he's saying, listen, uh, you know, in, in spite of all that stuff, they, they're thriving. And he says, continue on, man. Press on. Keep, keep pressing into the Lord and let him grow you, flourish as a church. That's exactly what they're doing. But he wants to encourage them because, as you know, you know, it, you get a little weary after trial after trial after trial. It gets a little tiring. And so we got to be reminded, hey, Oh, yeah, we're in a battle. we got to keep pressing on, keep pressing forward. So that's what he's doing with this church. This church, man, they were young. They'd only been in maybe existence for about a year at this point, but their faith was amazing. They were fighting valiantly, and they were steadfast in their faith. Uh, they were demonstrating their faith by their works, their, by their love. They were demonstrating their love by their labor. They were demonstrating their hope by their steadfastness. And so Paul wants to continue to encourage them to magnify the name of the Lord until he returns. And that's really ultimately what this, what this book is about. 
Um, last week, we considered uh, how the gospel message will transform us in three specific ways, outwardly, inwardly, and onwardly. Today, we're going to look at what it means to walk in a manner worthy of God as we consider chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Will you stand with me? And we are going to read these verses together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness, or God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own, our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we ask you, Lord, to help us to glean from these verses how we can personally walk in a manner worthy of you. We want our lives to match our lips, Lord. We want the way that we live our lives to make a statement to those around us. Will you come by your Holy Spirit and speak into our lives in areas that we need to change, in areas that we need to be challenged and corrected, Lord? But will you also encourage us, Lord, this morning in the areas that we are doing well? And will you help us to guard ourselves from, from falling in those areas? So we just, once again, open our hearts to you. We ask you to come teach us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Napoleon Bonaparte, part, Bonaparte, Napoleon Bonaparte, not to be confused with Napoleon Dynamite, as you know, but uh, it was a man of humble beginnings who went on to be a fierce general in the French military, leading several successful campaigns during the French Revolutionary War. He was making his rounds one, one evening and found a soldier asleep at his post, and he said, Soldier, what is your name? The soldier replied, My name is Napoleon. Bonaparte replied, What did you say your name was? He responded a second time, Napoleon. Then Bonaparte stated, Soldier, my name is Napoleon. And and you, you suggest that I suggest you either change your name or start living up to it. Now, 
This is a great word for those who call themselves Christian. This is a great word for those of us who will walk around and say, I'm a Christian. What does Christian mean? It means Christ follower. I am a Christian. If your life does not match the label, then change your name. Then change your name. You know, we live in a culture today that is very, very confused about what a Christian is. There are those who identify themselves with a theological bent, and so they're this kind of a Christian or that kind of a Christian. We have conservative Christians. We have evangelistic Christi- or evangelical Christians. We have liberal Christians. We have progressive Christians. We have all these kinds of Christians. Do you know what the Bible says? There's one Christian. There are no different Christianities. There is one Christianity. There is one Christ. There is one way to follow him. And there's one doctrine that he laid out. And so we, fa- we are faced with a serious issue. What does it mean to be a Christian? We look to Jesus himself to define this for us. We don't try and define uh, these things ourselves, but what does it mean to be a Christian? It means to submit, surrender, and obey Jesus himself. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. Not a follower of somebody else's theology. Nowhere in the Bible do you see, do you see somebody saying, hey, follow my theology. Paul said, imitate me as I what? Imitate Christ. He's saying, follow Christ. If you don't see Christ in me, don't follow me. That's what he's saying. And yet, so oftentimes, we are so busy following man and man's doctrine that we have divided the body, one body, into different theological bents, and we have completely and totally disunified this thing called Christianity. And so we have a job to do. If we are going to call ourselves Christians, we need to live up to that. And and we should be as Jesus was. He faced people that did not believe the same things he believed. Do you know that? The, The religious leaders did not believe the same thing Jesus believed, and yet he had those conversations with them in a loving way. You know, it's amazing to me to see how believers will beat each other up and fight over things that ultimately are secondary issues. You know, Jesus said, listen, follow me. And I think it's, it's, it's every Christian has a duty to get in the Word of God themselves, particularly the Gospels, read Jesus' words himself, and follow what he says. Particularly, you can just go to Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount. You can pretty much get a good context of what Jesus taught, and you can submit yourself to these things. They're not complicated. Do unto others as you would have, what, have done unto yourselves. Love your enemies. Pray for them. Love each other. These kinds of things. These are not controversial things, things that we can drum up our own doctrines on. 
And yet, so oftentimes, we get hyper-focused on these other issues that divide the body of Christ. You know, we have to be careful because we want to live up to the name of Christ. We want to live up to that name. And again, Jesus is, is a great unifier, but he also, at the very same time, will divide. He said that. He said, listen, if you love your father and mother more than me, then you're not worthy of me. Now, he's not saying that, you know, you should have a rift with your parents because the Bible also says don't do that. But what he's saying, what, he, what he's saying is you've got to love me the most and you've got to be willing to follow me. He does divide at times, but it's only when it relates to him. So we have to be careful about these things. We need to be concerned about living up to his name, to be imitators of him, to surrender to him. Paul comes to this, this point in his text in 1 Thessalonians where he, he wants to remind these Christians to live up to their name. He says in verse 12 there, he said, listen, I want to, in, to exhort, to encourage, to charge you. Three different adjectives that he's using to describe what it is that he wants you to do. He, he's exhorting, he's encouraging, he's charging them to what? Live, to, to walk in a manner worthy of God. To exhort. That literally means to come alongside and instruct, to encourage, to comfort and console, to charge, to insist or urge that these believers would walk in a manner worthy of God. Walking in a manner worthy of God. Man, what does that look like? What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of God? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. There are four different things that I want to point out, four different attributes of walking worthily. First and foremost, walking worthily means living boldly. Look at verse 1 there. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Notice what Paul says here. He says, man... You guys know how we showed up to Philippi, or how we showed up from Philippi. We had already suffered much, and we had been shamefully treated. Now, most of us would just bow out right there. We would just say, okay, I'm good. I don't need to do any more than that. I've already suffered. So my job is done. No, it's not. Paul, Silas, and Timothy went on from Philippi to Thessalonica, and he's drawing attention back to that moment when he said, remember what, when we came to you, remember what we looked like? Dude, you know, you know the story. I told it to you last week. You can read about it in Acts chapter 17, but Paul and Silas, listen, were beaten with rods. They were beaten with rods because they had cast out this spirit of divination this, this woman that was a fortune teller, uh, which these owners got upset with and, and brought Paul before the magistrates, they threw him in jail. 
But, he, but right before they threw him in jail, he was beaten with rods, he and Timothy, or him, he, he and Silas. And then they were put into, this, into stocks, and they were thrown into a jail. What was their response? At midnight, they begin to worship God. I might suggest to you that that might be the first thing I do when I'm faced with difficulties in my life is just bow down and worship God. Just to give Him honor and glory and say, Lord, I, I just give you praise. I thank you for who you are. We can praise Him in our pain. We can worship Him in the midst of difficulties. And when we do, man, is there not some encouragement in that? There, there is incredible building up of the believer when we bow our hearts before the Lord and we say, God, you are worthy. That's what they did. And you know the result of that was that that was the first Christian rock concert. It rocked the foundation of that jail. The doors were flung open. The stocks fell off of them, and they were free. And the very next scene is the soldier waking up as he probably got rocked awake and sees these doors open and he draws his sword to kill himself. It was a capital offense to allow a prisoner to go free. You would pay with your life. So he was just going to kill himself and save the, the, these people the, the trouble. And yet Paul steps out of his cell and he says, whoa, whoa, we're all here. And the most amazing thing happens this man responds to Paul with these words, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Like, there's not even a gospel that's gone forward. His life was the gospel in the midst of his difficulty. And the guy says, What must I do to be saved? How can I get what you have? And Paul says this to him, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Flash to the next scene. The guy takes Paul and Silas to his home, and he, he cleanses the wounds off of their body from their beating that they took. And then they share the gospel with his household. They get saved, and they're all baptized. The very next, th then, the, then they go back to jail. The next day, the, the city officials say, hey, let those guys go. I love the boldness of Paul. The jailer comes, opens the, the, the cell door, and he says, you guys can go free. You know what Paul said? No, you tell them to come down here and tell me themselves. You tell the city magistrates to come tell me as a Roman citizen. What? You're a Roman citizen? Now, now the, the, there's consequences for what they've done. They ask no questions. They beat Paul, who was also a Roman citizen. And so there was, they, that, that was against the law to do. Now there's big problems. Guess what? Oh, hey, Mr. Paul. <laughs> I'm a city official. How can I help you? Uh, um, well, let's just, we'll, we'll, we'll walk you out ourselves, you know. Hey, they, they, were, they were afraid. You see, the principle is this. We have nothing to fear. If the Lord has put you in a place He's already provided for you. You don't have to seek 
the strength. He's already given it to you. You don't have to seek, you know, the freedom because he will give these things to you. He's already gone before you. He's done these things. So align your heart. Start with worship, and you'll see what will happen. It was after this that Paul and Silas and Timothy, I believe, this is my own mind, this is, uh, you know, my own conjecture that they walked in very gingerly into Thessalonica, beaten and bruised, bearing the marks of Christ, suffering for the gospel's sake. They came into that city, and you would have not forgotten that entrance. As they walked into that city looking as if they had just gotten beat up. And then they brought the gospel to these people. But do you know what they are? They already brought the gospel before they showed up in the way that they were living their lives. They were already walking out the gospel before people. Before they even said a word, the gospel was displayed upon them. This message is so important that I will give my life for it is what they were declaring by their bodies. And then they declared the freeing words that though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow if you are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And he brings the gospel to these people and they receive the gospel. He's saying, guys, remember when we showed up? Did we come in vain? Did we come as if to build our, our own name? Were we seeking after glory? Were we seeking after financial gain? Remember how we came. We came in shame, in much suffering. But don't forget the boldness that we had. Do not forget that we came even in, even in spite of those circumstances and preached the gospel to you even though we had just finished paying the price for that. There's a price to bring the gospel to the world, folks. But it's worth it. Aren't you glad somebody was bold enough to proclaim the gospel to you? Aren't you thankful for these 12 apostles, 12, Paul being the 12th, I think, my own thing, but these 12 apostles would give their life for this message. And yet the gospel is being withheld in our culture. These guys would give their life for it because they believed in it so much. It's done the same thing to you that it did for them. It washed you clean. You were condemned. You were, the guilt was upon you. you. There was no way for you to be reconciled to God, and yet Jesus shed his blood for you. And you received that washing, that forgiveness through the repentance, turning away from your life and giving your life to him, believing in him, making him the Lord of your life. Do you really believe the gospel this morning? Because I 
believe that that is the source of boldness that comes in your life. What you believe, you boldly proclaim. I see no one have a problem with boldly declaring they, their political stance on whatever it is that they are, or they're boldly proclaim their, their you know, victory in whatever team that they want to root for on Sunday. And yet the gospel itself, many, many people are ashamed of. But Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. Do you believe it this morning? Notice Paul's boldness was not in himself. It was in God. He had seen God transform his own life. He was an enemy of the cross at one point. And he was, had a collision with Christ on that road to Damascus, and God changed his life. That became a source of boldness for him. It was God who gave him the boldness to this because he believed in the message that we'll see in a second he was entrusted with. Boldness to proclaim the gospel in every situation and circumstance comes from God. It does not come from you. It comes from Him. And that boldness is to proclaim a message that He Himself gave you to deliver. How amazing is that? He told these guys, we came in boldness to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Now, he's reminding them that there is conflict associated with the gospel. There are people that are enemies of the gospel. There are people that are going to stand in opposition of the gospel, but you keep moving forward in boldness from God with the gospel. That's the message you've been given to give. And so, what does it mean to walk worthily? It means to live boldly. Secondly, it means to speak faithfully. Look at verse 3 there. He says, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness." Nor did we see glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could, we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. The first course of action for enemies of the gospel is always persecution. That's the easiest. We'll just beat them up a little bit. Get them to shut their mouths, right? We'll beat them. When that doesn't work, they resort to manipulation and slander and make you question a leader's integrity and motives. That's the enemy at work. If they, can't, if they can't beat you, then they'll join you and they'll create disunity among you. And that's exactly what's happening here. They have seen the, whoever it is that Paul is fighting against. Some believe that it's even some of the Thessalonians in the church there that have, are speaking against Paul, saying, oh, he was only there for himself. He was only trying to build himself up. Some believe it's Judaizers. We do know that it's Jews in the city, and we do know that it's governmental officials that, that are worried about uh, their state and their, about remaining free, a free nation there in Thessalonica, a free, a free city. So Paul is going to address the slander that 
is taking place. Persecution is already happening. That's not stopping the gospel from going forward. It's going to continue in much conflict, but it's going to continue to move forward. These, these guys aren't budging when it comes to the gospel. So Paul says, let me address the slander that's taking place. He said, man, I'm appealing to you to remember how I came, not in error, in purity, in an attempt to deceive. I came with a pure gospel that was about Jesus and Jesus alone. I did not preach about myself. I preached about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Enemies of the gospel will always try to discredit the message and the messenger. They'll always try and discredit the message and the messenger of the gospel. They'll tell you, you can't just believe the gospel, man. you got to work. you got to work your way to the Lord. You've got to do something. And does that not appeal to our flesh? Of course I want to do something for my salvation. Of course I want to do more for the Lord. And that's the way that I'm going to heaven is by my good works and all of this. And yet, that couldn't be further from the truth. But it does appeal to our flesh. The enemy is sly, folks. He knows what you, what you, the way you operate. He knows what your, your, your hang-ups are. He understands the way the flesh works, and he appeals to it. But Paul is appealing also. And he's appealing to the Lord. He's appealing to th their memory of the way that he came that they wouldn't be deceived by these things. Paul was urging them, he was urging them to not receive a false gospel that was twisted, that was impure, that was deceitful. Do you know that there's a couple gospels being offered here in our world today? There's a false gospel, and then there's a real gospel. The false gospel you know, manifests itself in a couple different ways. One way, it tells you that you, you can do whatever you want, you can live however you want, just as long as you have the golden ticket. As long as you've said the prayer, then you're good. You can go to heaven. Or the other false gospel is you can, you know, you got to work your way. you got to work hard. But the true gospel will tell you, first and foremost, that, that you, you can do nothing to contribute to what has been done for you on the cross. But when you truly have that, your life will change. That's the true gospel. The true gospel is a call to repentance, a call to change, to change one's mind, that's what it means, and to pursue Christ. That's what, that when you receive the true gospel, that's how you receive it, by turning your life over to the Lord completely. Paul's saying don't be deceived by the false gospel. And don't you be deceived by the false gospel. Don't you think for a minute that you can contribute. I was on an airplane one time, and I was talking to this guy next to me. I was witnessing to him, and I was talking about the Lord and how incredible he is. And this guy told me story after story after story about all the great things that he'd done for the Lord. Over and over, he just told me, I did this for the Lord, I did this for the Lord, I did this for the Lord, and all these kinds of things. And I, I, all I kept hearing was, I have done, I have done, I have done. And I said, listen, can I share something with you? There's a, there's a verse in the Bible. It's in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. And it says this, we have all 
we have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. I said, do you know what that means? Polluted garments? Literally, it's the menstrual rag of a woman. Isaiah said that your righteous deeds are like menstrual rags before the Lord. You are not righteous. We need to wash the mind to think that we are inherently good people that occasionally do bad things. We are actually inherently bad people that occasionally do good things. That is the reality. And yet we can so easily be deceived to think the best of ourselves. But the gospel is true to us. It will not lie to us. It will tell us exactly who we are. I tried to tell him the rest of the story that yes, you're a sinner, that you are not righteous before God. But he turned his shoulder to me literally and faced the wall and would not talk to me. I refuse to believe that, he said to me. You refuse to believe that. It's not my words. It's God's word. Who cares what I think? Don't you care what God thinks? He didn't let me tell him that although we are, as Tim Keller put it, although we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we dare believe, yet at the very same time we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Yes, God loves me. Yes, he gave his son for me so that I could be reconciled to him, but it's not by what I've done. It's by what he has done. That's the gospel. And you cannot change it to be attractive to people. He said, I'm not going to bring a message to please man. And you know, there are churches all over the world that are doing what they can to bring a message to please man, to fill, fill places, to fill seats. And they are, as Jesus said to the Pharisees, making people twice the sons of hell than they were before. What do I mean? Because they're giving them a false gospel. Now, God can use it, and he does. Thankfully, God's not limited by what someone says in the pulpit, but we have this thing called the Holy Spirit that draws us to himself, and he can even use false teachers to draw us to himself. So we're thankful for that, but the same token, these words that come from the pulpit ought never to, to come as a means to please man, but always to please God. And the same with your words, the conversations you have. Listen, it hurts my heart to talk to people that are stuck in sin, and how do I reach, how can I bring this in the least offensive way that I can, but also give them the gospel. I don't think that we're supposed to blast them. I think we're supposed to be strategic. I think the Holy, if we listen to the Holy Spirit, he will give us the words. And as we'll see here in a moment, oftentimes they're fairly gentle. A gentle answer turns away wrath. So when we minister to people and we're saying, look, I know you're stuck in the sin, but, but, um, and, and I know you think God's okay with that, but he's not. He's not okay with that. Jesus never had a problem telling somebody that their sin was not okay. 
But do you know how he did it? In such a way that they still wanted to be around him. Is that amazing? I want to be like that. I want to be able to be, to be used by God to speak such truth into people's lives, but yet at the same token that they still want to be around me. Not everybody wanted to be around Jesus. Not everybody will want to be around you. But that's your challenge. How can I, Lord, do that? How can you use me, Lord, in this moment? Yield to the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit. You can quote Bible verses to people all day long, but that might not be what he wants to say to them in the moment. Listen to the Holy Spirit. We can't change the message because it offends people. We have to please the Lord with the message that he's given us to give. Paul says, man, I didn't, we didn't try and flatter anybody. We weren't coming in any greedy way. He calls God to the witness stand as God is witness. He's saying, I keep myself accountable to the Lord. I keep myself accountable to him. I, called, I call the Lord to witness on my behalf. He's, he's not making stuff up. He ain't doing this for himself, man. He's doing this for the Lord. Paul, Silas, and Timothy are walking worthily because they were living boldly, speaking faithfully, and ministering gently, verse 7. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of his own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. I love the way that he ends this because he takes on this parental kind of position and he's saying, first I'm going to start with the mother. He's going to say, like a nursing mother to her children. Like, I want you to grasp what I'm trying to communicate to you in here and I want you to understand, like, like we came to you gently like a nursing mother would to her own children. Here in our own fellowship, Amber Lowry just had a beautiful baby boy, James Burton Lowry, this last week. And uh, nine, you guys want to know, ladies, I'm sure, nine pounds, four ounces, 22 inches long. Those are important for you guys to understand. I, we don't, guys don't care. It's like, what was it? <laughs> Did it have eyeballs? Like, awesome, that's great. But... But mothers care about these things, do they not? They care about the details of these things. And man, how do you suppose right in this moment, right now, how do you suppose that she's uh, taking care of her little infant baby? Gently. What does that word mean? It means with kindness, acceptance, respect, compassion, tolerant of imperfections, patient, tenderheartedness, and loyalty. Paul says, man, that's how we came to you guys like a nursing mom would come to her children. We weren't, we weren't coming with our own demands as de apostles. Like, we could have. We could have said, look, we are apostles and you need to support us. But he said, no, that's not how we come. We came gently. And by the way, that's how you tell if you're sitting under a hireling or a pastor. Does he care about the money? Is that all he cares about is the money? Hey, you guys aren't doing enough to support me. I need you to support me more. So, so you know, you need to give more. 
<laughs> we leave that with the Lord, man. Because we, we, we ultimately know that the Lord is moving. I don't need to remind you every week, you know, these things. You, you have the, the, the Holy Spirit. A hireling will, will not let you forget about it. But a pastor says, I, wanna, I, I care about your soul more than I care about anything else. And I will trust the Lord with everything else. He said, man, we came gently like a mom. There is nothing more illustrating of Christ's love, I believe, than that of a, a mother loving her children. She, I've watched my wife love my kids way beyond what I could. I watch her selflessly get up in the middle of the night, and my, my, my wife loves sleep. Get up in the middle of the night and take care of these little screaming devils. And I'm like, dude, I'm moving out. I'm not staying with these, these kids. No. She was so generous and selfless and sacrificial. And man, when her children were hurt, she turned into a vicious predator. Don't ever get in the way of a mom going after her kid that is hurt. And if you hurt that child, you better run because she's coming after you. That's what Paul is saying. This, this is the picture I want you to get. My love for you guys, that I love you so much that I keep, we came gently like a nursing mom would. We, 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 we wanted to, to bring the gospel to you, but not only that, when we got to know you, man, we wanted to give you our own selves. We gave you of our own selves like a mother does to her own children because you came very dear to us. The relationships that Christians can have with one another is deeper than blood. Do you know that? The relationships that you can, you can form together in this body can be far beyond any kind of family bond that you may have with other people. You have the same dad. You are in the same family. You have the same spirit. There are no tighter, deeper relationships than that. And I know we want to say blood is thicker than water, whatever those dumb sayings are we have. But I'll tell you what, the spirit rises above all. The family of God. You're part of the family of God. You're my brother, my sister. I'm your brother, not your sister. Paul reminded the Galatians of this. He said, brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of what? Harshness. Let them know they really failed. No, in a spirit of gentleness. Be gentle with them. Keep watch over yourself lest you too be tempted. Walking worthily means ministering gently. And finally, it means walk, working tirelessly. Look at verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work day and night and day and that we might not be a burden to you, any of you, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witness. And God also, 
How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted you, each of you, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul said, not only am I like a mother that nurtures her children, but I'm also like a father who works for them and, and sets the expectations for them. I'm like a dad that's going to work hard and set the bar high. I'm going to say, man, I'm going to, as he says here, exhort, encourage, and charge you. It's the job of a father to do that. He tells these people, listen, we worked tirelessly for you in Thessalonica night and day. We weren't a financial burden upon you guys. You recall that. That is how you tell the difference again between a hireling and a pastor. A pastor will fulfill his call and a hireling goes where the money is. Listen, there is nothing more exhausting than being a bivocational pastor. I have done it. I know what it's like. I do it still. Bivocational pastoring is hard. I'm thankful that I have much, much relief, but there are there are thousands of churches across America. The majority of churches, by the way, are 75 um, members or less. So just to put that in perspective, so majority of pastors in the United States have two jobs. They work a full-time job to take care of their family, and then they work a full-time calling upon their lives to serve God. And it is, it, it, you have to work tirelessly do that a hireling will not do that. A hireling will say, you either pay me or I'm gone. I'll hit the road. He is not following a calling. I talk to many of my friends that are bivocational pastors, and they are exhausted. Exhausted, man. It is hard work. And you know what? There are many, many people that serve in the body of Christ that also work tirelessly. For the Lord, it's not just bivocational pastors. There are bivocational Christians who serve as much as they possibly can in the church and also have uh, to make a living. Paul's saying, don't forget how we came to you, working night and day. Paul had a tent-making business. He used that to fund his, his travels and all and, and different things. He said, listen, I'm going to make my own way. I'm not going to come to a town and say, hey, let's take up an offering because I need to get to the next place. So, well, let's, uh, you know, dig deep, uh, turn to page 20, <laughs> and then put it in. You know, he's not doing any of that. There's no thermometer on the stage. None of that. He said, I will come and bring the gospel to you. I will come to give you something, not get something from you. And here's the thing. It's not wrong for pastors to be paid for what they do. Paul said, don't muzzle the ox while he works. But here's the reality is God is in control of these things. And at the end of the day, there are those who have to. God has called them, but they also 
have a calling to support their family. And so that's, you do what you have to do to take care of your family and to fulfill your call. You do what you have to do. And that is the heart of a pastor. But the heart of a hireling will not do that. Paul said, man, we came in humility working tirelessly to what? Deliver a message of hope that was entrusted to us. God gave us this message. We proclaim this message from God to you. We have no right to change it, but we're going to give it to you as he gave it to us. He said, you're our witnesses and God is also. What did, now watch this. He, he said this. You are witnesses and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. What is he saying? Our lives matched our lips. Our lives matched our lips. We lived our lives in such a way that you could not miss Jesus. So he says, therefore, he didn't, that's not in there, I'm putting it in there. I'm going to exhort you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to charge you to do the same thing, to walk, to live your life in such a way that it matches the words that you speak, which are not your own words, but words that you've been entrusted with by God. It's called the gospel. Change life. This exhortation, this encouragement, this charge is not changed. Folks, we are called to walk worthily of God. That means we, we need to live boldly. We need to speak faithfully. We need to minister gently. And we need to work tirelessly to proclaim the gospel that has been entrusted to us. We are to be gospel-centric people. Our lives should be lived centered around the gospel. Listen, anything else is off task. Anything else is off task. I, I want to challenge you this week to take a few minutes, maybe today or sometime this week, and evaluate whether or not you are walking in a manner worthy of God. Not worthy of the person sitting next to you. Not worthy of what you think it should look like. But are you living, are you walking in a manner worthy of God? And if you find yourself lacking boldness, perhaps it's because you're trusting in yourself and not the Lord. You're looking within to find boldness when it comes from above. Get your eyes on the Lord and how big He is, and that will embolden your steps. Remember, the same gospel that changed you can change anybody. If it can change you, right? We say that. It can change anybody. If you're lacking boldness, Go to the Lord. Ask Him to reveal why. And ask Him for the boldness to stand faithfully. If you're lacking faithfulness, man, with the message that you've been entrusted, ask the Lord, give me one opportunity every day, Lord, to be faithful with it. You know, don't, don't set the bar to where it's unattainable for you. Just pray to God, give me one opportunity a day. To share the gospel with somebody, Lord, and be faithful with it. He will open the door, and then you just simply just tell people about it. 
Thirdly, if you're ministering harshly, perhaps you need to be recentered on the Lord, on His grace that came down for you. Don't forget, it's all, the entire gospel is grace-centered. It's not about what we have done. It's about what He's done. It's God's unmerited favor for you and I. Display grace towards people. It, that can only come, <laughs> listen, by the Lord just allowing to flow through you. Ask the Lord, Lord, help me to minister gra- gently, graciously like you do. And then fourthly, man, if you are not working tirelessly for the Lord, ask him how you can change that. I love what Paul said. He said, I want to be spent for God. I want to be spent for the Lord. And I promise you, when you see him face to face, you will have wanted to be spent for him. He is, he is worth that much. Ask the Lord how you can serve him. Not what you think you should do, but what can you do, Lord? What are you calling me to do? And then work tirelessly at that calling. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning and for your grace that pours out upon each one of us, Lord. We thank you for reminding us of your, uh, the things that are found here in this chapter about how we can walk in a manner worthy of you. Help us to apply these things, Lord, to our lives. We just pray for your Holy Spirit to give us wisdom. Um, we thank you that you're already at work in our lives. You've already spoken to us, Lord. So let us just simply now apply what we've learned this morning. We thank you for the gospel, for the blood of Christ that has come down. You paid the price for us, Lord. We thank you that your word tells us that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so we, we ask that if there's anyone here this morning that needs relationship with you, that you help them to turn, Lord, turn to you, to turn away from their sin and turn to you, God, in full repentance, asking for your forgiveness for sin, Lord, and just receiving the forgiveness through the blood of Christ, believing that he died and rose again for us. Your word tells us that if we confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Fill each believer here with your spirit. Empower us, Lord. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.